You know, there's some mornings that I'm just encouraged to see somebody, uh, and today is one of those days. So you encourage my heart by being here today because it is absolutely uh, horrendous outside. Yeah, nasty is probably another good word. So it is, uh, it's really bad. Uh, I know God's in control, and, uh, but at the same time, it is tough out there, a lot of bad weather. So please, th- first of all, thank you for being here, and second, please be careful when you're going home. Uh, nothing's that important uh, that you have to rush for, so take your time. Um, you know, uh, I want to stop and pray for a couple people in our church today. We um, experience, um, if, you, if you know Lynn and Rodney uh, Martin, who've been here really from the beginning, uh, Lynn works here. Um, Rodney's uh, mom passed away this week, so we're going to pray for uh, them. Also, uh, the Penningtons, their youngest son, has had multiple surgeries uh, on his legs. And also, Miss Haley, who's our principal here, who is just absolutely a jewel and has been so gracious and kind to us, uh, she, had some surg- she had a surgery this week as well. So I'm just pause and pray for them, and then we'll get into the sermon this morning. Is that good? All right, cool. God, thank you so much uh, for the rain. Uh, God, you know exactly what we need. And sometimes when we're flooded uh, with an overabundance of things, um, we, we count that as somehow a bad thing. But uh, God, we thank you for the abundance of rain. Maybe there's going to be something that happened this summer. We're going to desperately need it. Um, I know uh, places like Lake Ann and other places have been in drought uh, for a, a while. So God, thank you for the rain. Uh, God, I pray you will protect us as we go back uh, to our different places this afternoon. God, we pray for the Pennington family. God, little uh, Abraham, who's had multiple surgeries um, this week. And God, we ask for healing on his body. We also pray for the comfort. Um, You are the God of all comfort, and you say you are close to the brokenhearted. And so, Father, I pray you will be close to Rodney and Lynn and all those who are experiencing loss of his mom. And uh, God, just comfort them today. Um, Also, God, we we pray for Miss Haley. God, what a a sweet lady who has been so kind to us and gracious to us. This whole school has been. And God, I just pray right now for a supernatural touch on her body, bring healing and restoration quickly uh, so she can get back to what she's called to do, which is to serve uh, the families and kids of this community here um, at Madison Elementary. God, thank you for this morning. God, I pray your word be proclaimed. God, I would decrease and you would increase. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we're going to have two, uh, one major passage today, so you can go ahead and turn there. It's, it's Exodus 6, Exodus 6. Um, the next two weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, today the Passover and the promises of the Passover, and next week, how really Jesus fulfilled the Passover and became the Passover lamb, and I'll touch on that a little bit today, but really concentrate on that next week, and next week, we'll actually have our first Lord's Supper um, here at Ladysmith. So we're celebrating. We've already had two baptisms, and so we're going to have our first Lord's Supper. So we're excited about that. It's going to be a great time of celebrating what God has done for us. Um, so make sure they don't really, they don't, they don't, you don't have to be at both, but it's, they kind of fit together like a hand in glove. So you, this is obviously a standalone, and then next week as well, but they work per- seamlessly together over the next two weeks. And then I'll start a 10-week series on the book of James this summer, um, then we'll hit as we hit back to the fall to pick up our Luke series. So again, thank you for being here. Um, as we talk about, 
the Passover, I think it's really important that I paint a picture and, and don't assume that everyone in the room uh, knows what the Passover is or really understands the ramifications of, of what the Passover was about. Um, we have to go obviously go all the way back into Genesis, and we see Genesis, and we see shortly after God uh, made Adam and Eve, they chose uh, to believe the lie, of the, uh, the lie of the enemy over the truth of God, so they suppressed God's truth, they questioned his character, and they determined what they thought was right and wrong, um, and made that up, and therefore it caused a great separation uh, between God uh, and his chief of his creation. And obviously, God had a plan in place even before the foundation of the world. But we see quickly, even when God tries to draw them close, we just see a spiral out of control. Ultimately, see Noah. On a day like today, it's easy to imagine what that would look like. Uh, but we see where God picked Noah and his family to uh, be the one family that would survive the flood and carry on God's promise. And then we see shortly after that again, Really quickly, even though Noah was considered a righteous man, we see the Tower of Babel, which really becomes an icon for what the world, and really a, a bad um, picture of what the world can become. And then ultimately, we see this in Egypt, where eventually, uh, through God's promise, he picks one man, Abraham, and eventually his people land uh, in Egypt through Joseph, and then hundreds of years go past, and they find themselves in slavery, and they find themselves bounded um, and crying out to God for freedom. And this is where we see this picture picking up. And so what you need to understand is Egypt is a picture of our world today, that we are born, just as the Israelites were born into slavery, uh, we're born into slavery to sin. We're, we're bent toward rebellion toward God, Okay. And so you need to see that that is a picture. So how does that line up with what Jesus was doing and what he came about? John 1.29 says this. The next day he saw, meaning John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming and said to him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then 1 Corinthians 5.7b says this. For Christ, our Passover also has been sacrificed. So what does it mean for Jesus to be our Passover. So understanding this, how God set his people free in the days when they were under the slavery and bondage of the Egyptians was he brought in these plagues. And eventually, he, he brought one plague called the Passover, which basically meant that if they did not follow God's uh, plan for, for, for rescuing the blood of a, of a spotless blameless lamb to put over the doorpost, then they would have to pay the penalty. The death angel would cause the firstborn uh, son to die. And those who obeyed God's guidance for salvation put the blood over the doorpost and the death angel passed over. So when we fast forward uh, a thousand years from that point to the day of Jesus, we see Jesus coming in Luke 4, and he says, the kingdom of God at hand, I'm coming to proclaim the good news, to set the captives free. And it literally says the day of the Lord at the end of that uh, quote from Isaiah. And actually, if you go back again to the day that God set the Israelites for, uh, free, they actually call it the day. So understanding that these correlate, everything in the Old Testament points to the person and work of Jesus. And everything in the New Testament points back to the person and work 
of Jesus. So understanding this picture, you need to understand that to kind of grasp what we're going to be talking about this morning. My big idea is this. God is offering to us through Christ the core promises of the Passover, okay? So I'll get into those in just a minute. But before we get into this, I think I need to explain a few things about God's promises. The first one is this. 2 Peter 1.4 says this, God has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So there's two reasons why God gives us his promises. The first one is to participate in the divine nature of God. Do you understand that when you were in slavery to sin, before you came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, before you were born again, you had no capability of pleasing God. You had no way of being able to walk in obedience. The Bible says you were slave to sin. That's all you could do. So the promises of God allow us to participate in his divine nature. In other words, allows us to live supernaturally. In fact, Jesus says, when I leave, I'm gonna give you my Holy Spirit and you're gonna do even greater things than me. So understanding that God wants us to live a supernatural life, a life that is in divine nature. See, many of us still live at times we can go back to those carnal lives. And what it means is the realities of this world are greater than the God realities in our life at times. And that's what we have to be careful of. See, we need to escape the corruption of this world. See, when you, by definition, a promise is basically this. A promise is an offer of a guaranteed result. That's what God is saying. His promises are true, and they're guaranteed. They're unconditional. Joshua 21, 45 says this, not one of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel has failed. All come to pass. Hebrews 6, 17 through 18 says this, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise of the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. See, we hold on to the promise of God like an anchor for our soul. I love that terminology where it says that those who fled for refuge, this is the picture we see the Israelites, them fleeing for refuge. This is a picture of the promises of God for us in Christ. When we flee the things of this world and we hold grasp, grasp hold of the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ, we are set free and the promises are unchangeable. God cannot lie. Now, three things I want you to know about the promises of God is this. The first one, you need to know his promises. See, every day, we've got to get into the word of God and allow it to change us. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. And the Bible says it's impossible to please God apart from faith. So we have to get into God's word daily. That's a part of God's plan. First Chronicles 17, 19 says this, O Lord, for the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done these great things and made known all these great promises. 
We need each day to get into God's word and search for a promise. I will be honest. There's times where I read through the scriptures and I'm just looking for a nugget. I'm just looking for a verse. I'm just looking for one thing. There's times where lots of it, many times I'll be riding down the road and listen to it. And all of a sudden, it's just that one verse that pierces my heart. It's what I need for that day. Okay? One of the things that my wife and I began to do recently is begin to pray through scripture. Man, it is exciting to pray through Scripture. You know why? Because you're praying through the promises of God. You don't have to figure out what God's will is. As you see it written, you begin to pray it. You begin to ask God to do these things in your life and the people around you and your neighbors. So we've been reading through, I'll do maybe a Proverbs one day and a Psalm another day, but actually reading and praying through those verses. In fact, one of our core values here at Ladysmith is what we call biblical authority, truth for living. God revealed himself through the scriptures, therefore the Bible in our, is our ultimate and sufficient authority for life. The reason many of us are not walking in the promises of God because we don't know the promises of God, so we need to know the promises of God. In fact, if you're here this morning and you struggle with fear, Psalms 27, 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Maybe you're feeling defeated this morning. 1 John 4, 4 says this, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he is in you is greater than he is in the world. Romans 8, 37, Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who love us. Maybe you're having financial struggles, or other areas of need. Philippians 4.19 says this, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. Maybe you struggle with illness. Psalms 103 says, blessed the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all the benefits who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, whose crown you will steadfast love and mercy. First Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we can be healed. This is the promises of God. Understanding that Everything in life you may face, there is a promise of God in Scripture. So we need to know God's promises. See, when life doesn't make sense many times, we have to remind ourselves of the truth of Scripture because there's going to be times where it doesn't seem like there's hope. There doesn't seem to be like there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I promise you that God's promises are true and that we need to know his promises and hold on to his promises. The second thing about God's promises is this. You need to understand his promises. Numbers 23, 19 says this. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? See, this is what we need to understand. Even though all God's promises are unconditional, they're also conditional. In other words, every promise has a premise. You play a role in walking in right relationship with God. The Bible says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. God says if you humble yourself, he will lift you up. If you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. 
See, all these things, it's almost like going back to geometries, the if-then statements. God's saying, if you do these things, I promise to fill these things. Understanding that God requires faith. I would challenge you to look through any miracle that Jesus did in the New Testament and any miracle God did in the Old Testament, a work, and see where faith did not require action. Think about it. The woman who had bleeding for years, she went out and pursued Jesus just to touch the hem of his garment, right? Or, or, or the blind man who yelled out and would not let the disciples shut him up. What about Nicodemus, right? What about pursuing Jesus? What about all these things that we see that God did miracles in and God's promise was fulfilled? It was always through faith and actions. Now, God does it his way and he does it in his time. We don't control God. God controls us, right? God is the one who has the final word. But God has also said, these things are true and if you follow my ways and my principles, these are the results. This is what God does. So understanding all his promises are true, and all his promises require faith. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, so that through him the amen is spoken by us for the glory of God. And he goes on to say, God has anointed us, he has put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. This is God's promises. The third thing I need you to know about God's promises is this. I need to pursue his promises. Not only to know his promises, to understand his promises, but to pursue his promises. Psalms 119, uh, 140 says this. Your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. Psalms 119, 48. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. These are the promises of God. I want to share with you the promises that God gave the Israelites. So if you'll turn Exodus 6, these are the promises that God gave the people of Israel in Exodus. And these same promises are fulfilled through what Jesus did for us by fulfilling the Passover lamb, and being the Passover lamb for us. These were all pointing to Jesus and what he wanted to do ultimately in our lives. This is uh, Exodus 6, starting with verse 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you and you with an outstretched arm and a great axe of judgment. And I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. See, the Passover, if you don't know this, there wasn't just one cup of wine at the Passover. There were four, okay? And so if you, if you study this, you understand that these are the four I wills statements that God's promised his people. And these are the four cups that represent these four I will statements. And when Jesus took 
that Passover, which he had done that three times uh, at this point with his disciples, he would have taken that, those Passover elements and it would have been four cups of the different um, promises or our wills of God. So the first one is this cup of sanctification. I will bring you out. This is a promise of God's salvation. This is a promise of God's salvation, that he will rescue out of your sin. And many of you guys understand this because when God met you, when God rescued you, you were in a mess. I was there. God pulled me out, not physically, but he literally rescued me. He began to break the chains that I had allowed bondage to come in my life and began to break the chains and set me free from the life of slavery to this world and to the things of this world, to sin. It says in Titus 3, 3 through 8, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passions uh, passing our days in malice and envy, hating, uh, hated by others and hating one another. This is the pattern of the world, right? That we follow our glands, okay? We follow the, the passions of our body. Um, we, we hate and we're hated by others. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. By the way, let me just pause for a second. This passing our days in malice, Envy, hated by others, hating one another. Does that describe the circumstances of our world right now? I mean, it is unbelievable how much just vehement poison is out there in our, in our society. Just, it seems like the enemy is just having his way, pinning different people against each other. I remind you, that's not us. That's not us. We're not doing those things. We are set apart. That's literally what this means to be saved is to means to be set apart, to be rescued, to be pulled out of. And it goes on in verse four, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to, I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for the people. Literally, when God saved us, he set us apart. He broke us free from the empire of slavery, from that dominion of slavery, to walk into freedom. This is why God came. Talked about this a little bit last week when I closed out We Are the Church series, that God ultimately comes to allow us to experience, if you will, a little bit of heaven here on earth, a picture of walking in freedom so we can share heaven on earth where we go. That's what Jesus did when he came and he, set the, he, he uh, set the captives free by basically causing the blind to see, the lame to walk, the, the disease to be cleansed. He brought heaven here on earth. This is a picture of who, who we're supposed to be. Hebrews 10.10 10 says this, and, and by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. 
We need to be secure in this salvation. Understanding is, it is, we're saved by grace through faith. This is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. See, the Israelites could not do anything to break themselves out. I mean, Moses tried, right? Moses, Moses killed another man to, because he saw his people being oppressed and beaten. It didn't work. He fled. And no matter what they did, more and more suffering came until the deliverer came. Until Jesus, or until God pointed to Jesus, would set them free. This is what we need to understand. His promise, it, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the work of God. The other thing I want you to understand is I will statements is the cup of deliverance. It's that I will set you free. God's promised me deliverance. Now, let me back up for a second because you see these statements seem very similar. I will bring them out and I will deliver them or set them free. It sounds very similar, but it's really two different things. He will, he, will, he will separate them. He will set them apart. In other words, we are justified by God through his grace. But now that they've gotten out of Egypt, God wants to get the Egypt out of them. See the difference? See, many of us have been saved, but we're still walking in the ways of Egypt. We're still walking like we're bound by sin. It reminds me of that picture I heard years ago about when they still used to use uh, elephants way back in the day and would go from town to town, right, parading the, the elephants, and that was the big drawing point. And how they got those elephants under control many times where as a baby they would chain or stake them uh, on something and the little baby elephant couldn't, couldn't get free, right? And then over time it just lost its will to get free. And I just wonder, we need to understand that God has set us free and he's given us these promises to walk in, to not just be free from sin, but to, to not just to be out of Egypt, but to get the Egypt out of us. And that's what God wants for us so we need to understand that. God wants to set us free. And I know many times we think of that word deliverance. We think of some freaky movie where the person's head's spinning around. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being sanctified, being set apart, living as a child, a child worthy to be called the son or daughter of God. This is what God is calling us to do. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. See, we need to walk before God in, in, in a way that's by faith pleasing, knowing it's by grace, but also knowing that we want to, the fullness of his promises in our life, that he came to set us free not just out of Egypt, but to get the Egypt out of us. First uh, Corinthians uh, 10, 13 says this, no temptation has seized you, I'm sorry, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. We don't do good to earn favor, but because we have been saved, we live out of our love for God. He gives us the desire and the power to live an obedient life, and we have to walk in that. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, cleanse out the old leaven that you may have a new lump 
as you, were really, as you really are unleavened. Now, what that means is this. Leaven does what to bread? It swells it up, right? Puffs it up. That's what sin does to us, right? It puffs us up. It makes us think that we're all that. And we forget God created us. He wants to set us free. He wants us to live in obedience to him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. In other words, as we're walking in this freedom, understanding, I was, uh, we were at a little play with my girls yesterday, and there's um, extended uh, family member, a little girl, and she was a cutie pie. I think she's around one, and she was walking all over the place um, at this, I mean, not walking, she was crawling all over the place at this play. And every once in a while, she'd stand up and maybe take a step or go along the chairs. And I got to thinking, you know, that's so cute now, right, as a little child, but, you know, 10-year-old, if my, my kids are crawling around their knees at a play, I'm like, get up. What's, what's wrong with you? You're not, you, you know, your part's not an animal, okay? You're, you're playing a per human being here. So uh, that would not, something would be wrong, right? So think about us as believers. If we're continuing to walk in the things of the world, something just doesn't add up. If we say we know Christ, we're, now it doesn't mean uh, again, that we're not saved by grace through faith, but that living out, something's wrong, just like a human being, if there's delayed and 10 years later that child cannot walk and we know that something's definitely wrong, the same is true in, in a, a Christian's life. Something is not right if they continue to walk. In fact, I would say the Bible says we need to check where our faith is at, where we're really at when it comes to that because a relationship with Christ causes new desires and causes a new way of living. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, anyone be in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and new has come. Again, not that we're not gonna fall, not that we're not gonna uh, uh, stumble at times, but this pattern, this lifestyle of where we're at. The third cup is this cup of redemption. It says, he says here, I will redeem you. God's promise ultimately for restoration. In other words, this idea of redeeming means to put something back to his original tent. We've talked about this a bunch. Understanding that God, when he rescues us, he basically makes us fully alive, right? He allows us to become fully alive. In other words, fully alive how a human being should live. This is what God is calling us to do, to live out what he has called us to do, to originally make us, to make us in a relationship with him. God is taking back what is rightfully his. He ransomed us. He bought us back out of slavery. God has something he wants to do for you. Ephesians 1, 11 to 12 says this, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of God, who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be praised of his glory. We needed another human being to come who was fully God and fully man to 
to pay down the price for us with the character and the toning sacrifice of our sins. God was perfect. He was without sin, just like that lamb was without blemish or spot. This is what Jesus did for us. He atoned for our sins, and he's purifying our lives. See, in other words, atonement is like a payment. The purification is what the Old Testament priests would do when they sprinkled the blood. So not only did, not only is he paying for the price, but in our lives, he is purifying us with the blood of his son. The blood represents life. Just as I talked about last week, are we going around spreading heaven or hell on earth, right? Are, are we going about in a, in, a, in a life that is full of life and full of life-giving, are we in a life that brings about death and despair and, and bondage again? The fourth cup is this, the cup of acceptance. I will take you as my people. God promises me fulfillment. He promises us fulfillment. Isn't it interesting? Each one of these sta- statements says, I will redeem you, 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 and then the last one says, I will make you my people. See the difference? All the first three are individual promises. That last one's a corporate promise that I will make you my people and I will be your God. See, God always calls us to a church. He calls us to a a city, a people, but he always does it in the context of community. In fact, God does his greatest work in the context of community. That's how the gospel is supposed to be lived out in the context of community. So I want to encourage you today. Have you, have you drank of these cups? Have you experienced God's salvation? Have you experienced his deliverance? Have you experienced his restoration? Have you experienced his calling to make you a people? See, no longer individual but a people, a family. No longer strangers or aliens, but friends, sons, daughters, co-heirs with Christ. I want to leave you with this verse and this big question this morning. John 10, 10 says this, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. Let me ask you that question. Are you living that abundant life today? Are are, are you experiencing and living out the promises that we see from Scripture here today? That have you drank of those cups, those cups that God has for you in Christ? See, understanding that Jesus fulfilled, and we'll talk about this in extent next week, and I'm gonna tell you, some of it's gonna blow your mind to see how God fulfilled all the prophecy of scripture in his son, Jesus. It's amazing. And I can't wait to take the Lord's Supper with you next week. But I wanna ask you first, have you experienced these cups? Are you experiencing living out this kind of life? Because God says, these are my promises. They're, they're, They're here for you. If you would receive them, you could have them. Would you receive him today? Maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And maybe today's the day you need to nail that down. Maybe you're here today 
and you've, you're, you're, you, there's been a point where you've surrendered, but you've allowed the things to start coming back in your life, and you're not walking in that freedom today. Maybe you just don't feel like you're completely restored. Or maybe you don't feel like now, finally, you found your, your place where you need to join arms and link arms with others to be a family, to, to push back darkness, but also to advance his kingdom in and around Lady Smith in Caroline County. What is God calling you to do today? Will you stand? I'm gonna pray. There'll be people up front if you wanna pray with, if you wanna share with them. We would love to hear what God's doing in your heart today. Father in heaven, thank you for our day. Thank you for all your work. God, thank you that you gave us these precious and great promises that we can trust in you. God is not of ourselves. It's, it's your gift. But God, there are precepts that when we walk in them, God, you say this is what's going to happen. So I'm so grateful that you give us your promises because it's you the ones that are doing it. It's not us. We're just receiving it. We're just walking in it. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.